This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Haley Stoddart. Uh, Today, Ken, we utilize the random button again, and she suggested an episode for us to talk about. Today, we are going to discuss Kirk's inability to drive a car, zoot suits and Tommy guns. I'm talking about a piece of the action. What do you think? Uh... I love that random button. That kid's smart. She um, she finds the good ones. And, you know, sometimes the diamond's in the roughs. It's This isn't a, an episode I don't think we've talked to at great length on Standard Orbit. Uh, you know, we've, we've touched upon it. We've talked about it, you know, when we talked about the um, uh, the Prime Directive and, and all of that. But we, we've never really just talked about a piece of the action. And what a great episode it is. I, I mean, it really set, I think, the foundation for a lot of the um, ability of this cast to really just have fun once in a while. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's up there. It's one of my favorites. I, I don't have, I guess, you know, a, a ranking that I constantly have in my head where I can say, yeah, it's number six, seven, two, three, whatever. Uh, when we are forced to do it, I do it. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode. What are, what are your initial thoughts when you think of a piece of the action? Yeah, so this random button episode, this one's a really good one. Um, she definitely does pick some really interesting ones, and we'll see what she spits out next time we use her. But I really, <laughs> I really like this episode. It's it's so fun, and it I just I laugh, and it's definitely up there for me. I think probably in my I would say top 20 for sure. Um, I mean, I cosplayed as a uh, 1920s flapper in Vegas this last year. So, I mean, it's it's so much fun. And, you know, the, the Chicago style 1920s gangsters. I mean, come on now. Our, our captain and Spock in zoot suits and fedoras with Tommy guns. It can't get better than mm-hmm. that, right? <laughs> you can't. And, and I think, you know, it's one of those times, too, where um, uh, David Harmon, who wrote this episode with Gene Kuhn, 
Um, they just came up with a, a, a neat trick, I think. When I, when I say trick, you know, we have the computers that take over planets or run planets, and, and we have these different societies that are manipulated by opposition forces and, you know, all these different things. But here they come up with this very simple um, idea. I, guess, I should say it was probably very difficult to come up with conceptually, but a very simple concept of, you know, a Federation starship, the Horizon, visits this planet 100 years ago. They leave behind. They show, I don't know, you know, this is, this is in that, that, that funny period. You know, a book on, uh, you know, Al Capone era in Chicago, the 1920s Chicago. And then, you know, <laughs> the whole society then turns uh, to mirror what's going on uh, in those times. I mean, the, the concept of that, I thought, was, was brilliant. And um, putting the cast of the Enterprise into that fish-out-of-water scenario again, I thought was was perfect. I mean, it, it just uh, it it hit on all cylinders, no pun intended. And I think that um, you know one of one of the things that I forgot about was the name of the ship that was left behind, or the one that went missing, the uh, the Horizon. And I, I keep thinking of Tommy Kraft's um, fan film Horizon, which was really really good, by the way. And I, I I don't know if it was meant to be the same ship. I'm assuming it was. And and now you have some continuity that, that somebody's put out there. But at any rate, uh, great, great episode. Lots of fun. What were the, what were the things about it, the, um, the things that really got you and the, um, the enabler of the push button uh, excited about this episode? Um, so I think for me, what really gets me is that it's, it's very different. It's, it is. It's not that, oh, we've got to destroy this computer. They don't destroy anything at the end. They bring all of these gangsters together, these boss, these mob bosses, right? And they're saying, hey, here is the situation. This is how it's going to be. And we're going to leave you guys to your own devices to determine how you want to go about it. But we're going to come back and we're going to check on you. And, and we're going to take our 40%. And... It's not a destroying of this civilization, right? They're trying to make them so that they're better, so they get out of this mob Chicago-style mm-hmm. mentality, right? And Which is great because, I mean, we later see the Ioceans in TNG, and man, they sure have advanced, right? I mean, they're farther than we are. And and so I think that idea is, is really great because it's not... Um, a conventional episode as far as what we've seen before when they go down to a planet and they're like oh we've got to destroy this or we're going to radically change the uh, planet's inhabitants way of life we we're leaving them to change it themselves which is very kind of more of the tng kind of style of how they go about things right it's more diplomatic than we're going to go in and rescue and save the day yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it creates a very easy environment for the for the enterprise in this episode because, you know, they're fixing <laughs> they're fixing the mistake of leaving something behind by the other crew, and trying to put the pieces back together so that it, um, you know, so that society can can move forward. It can evolve and um, just I don't know. For me, the, the the thing that that makes this so much fun is you could tell the cast were having a blast, right? You know, whether it's 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 Spocko or <laughs> <laughs> and his inability, you know, 
right, check, right. <laughs> check, right. right. I, I mean, it was just little subtle things that, that I think of, and I just, you know, I smile wildly, widely, I should say, at this. And, you know, I, certain things, when you come back to these shows, Haley, you know, you, we've seen them. Uh, you haven't seen them as many times as I have just because that would be impossible at your age, but you'll probably catch up eventually. And when you go a long time between seeing them, even though you've seen it a number of times, it, it is amazing um, all the things that come back to you. You know, I, I had forgotten where Fizzbin came from, you know, in, in the back of my head. Um, and and I, I do remember even today joking when we're playing cards sometimes, uh, 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 only on Tuesday. What? You know, and, yeah. and just throwing stupid rules out that, that came from, or Thursday, that would come out of that, that game. So I thought holistically, um, conceptually, uh, the the cast having a good time, and even the ending it had to be one of the better endings that I can remember in a Star Trek where, you know, sometimes those kind of goofy endings don't always hit, but that one hit right on the nose, I thought. I I, I don't know. All around, it was, it was a lot of fun. So if we, we step back and we just kind of... Um, review the episode and and you know what what was really going on here um so you you have the enterprise shows up at um is it sigma sigma iosha two two iosha two that's the sigma, only Iosha-2. line that uh we get from Chekhov the entire movie or entire uh episode you picked that up huh? yeah that's the only it. time he says sigma anything Iosha. That is must have been the easiest paycheck he earned all season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so they arrive. You know, they land. They they they're, they're they're being escorted. Machine guns go off, and then they realize, you know, they're they're in a um, an exact replica of of Chicago in the 1920s. Which coincidentally, I believe that was the name of the book, right? Chicago Mobs of the Twenties, published in 1992. Yep. Did you ever look that up, by the way, to see if that ever happened? I didn't. I didn't look that up, but it would be interesting to see for sure if it if it is an actual book. Probably mm, something yeah. similar, anyway, at least, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it must have been something for the soldiers to read during the eugenics war. <laughs> Don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, and then you you had the two the two Keller, the two main characters right Bella Oxmix what a great name by the way right I, I don't know why I always like Oxmix I know. So that, it sounds yeah and then you had Jojo Krakow and and the two of them were um and, and Jojo was uh, Vic Tabak uh, from you know which was he was a pretty popular character actor in the in the 70s he had a big role in Alice and he was he always played like a, a big tough guy uh, so you know perfectly cast. And then, um, yeah, I, I mean, you, you meet these characters, and then the whole plot is getting these different, quote-unquote, gangs uh, together to, to start to work together instead of shooting each other up. And, you know, as they say, uh, mayhem ensues, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they get captured. They get released. They go back and forth. And, you know, I, I thought it was, it was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, anyway. So... When you think of a piece of the action the first time you saw it, what, what did um, what were like some of the key things to you that, that you really, really enjoyed about this episode? I, I enjoyed the little bits of humor that are thrown in. Um, I think one of my favorite things is and still is, is when we have Captain Kirk and he's down and it's towards the end of the episode. So he's in the zoot suit and he's talking to Scotty up on the Enterprise and he's saying stuff and Scotty's mm-hmm. like, what? He's just kind of confused because he 
you know, Captain Kirk is, is using the 1920s lingo, right? And and Scotty's just like, what? And he has to, like, whisper, yeah. kind of talk quietly, like, exactly what he wants. And then Scotty's like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a, th- those were cute scenes. It, it, and it is funny, you know, I, I, when you travel around and, and you you go to different places, you do start to pick up um, all the different terms and, and sometimes the accents that other people use. And I, I love the whole gangster approach of, of Kirk and uh, and Spock trying so hard, right? I mean, it was one of those episodes you were laughing with him, laughing at him, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you know, just, just watching it going, oh, man, this is, this is rough because you know those people. Yeah. You know those people who just don't quite get it, don't exactly fit in or whatever. They're doing their best. They don't mean to be funny, but it's hilarious watching. Yeah, and uh, I will say Kirk Fu is not very strong in this episode. <laughs> I don't know if you've okay. noticed. He's not, He like, uh, I think there's at one point he picks up, it might have been, I think it was one of Krakow's men. Maybe it was one of Ox Mick's men. Uh, and he's, like, holding him by the lapels, and he's, like, kind of jerking him up and down and then finally can punch him, and I'm like, He's not got some strong Kirk Fu this time. I don't know. <laughs> he does better when he, like, throws his whole body at people. Hmm. <laughs> you, you know, now you just gave me a um, an episode idea. If we look at the different directors that have, um, you know, directed these different episodes and how they direct Kirk in particular. So James Colmack, who, who directed this episode, has done a lot of them. Um, I don't know how many, but he's done a lot of Star Trek. It'd be interesting to see if... If he's done other episodes where you have Kirk Fu, you know, uh, in full in full force, or you just have, you know, uh, a more kind of, well, he seems to have forgotten what his abilities are. At least he wasn't like jumping up on a bulkhead, <laughs> getting him wrapped in between his legs and doing a flip. True. You know, all that while being stabbed. Yeah. You know, so you know, there's that's that's very true. Uh, and and Kirk is very, uh, I coined the term, Kirking in this episode (laughs) yeah okay he's uh what's kirking he's uh doing his inflection right his i i cannot you know when he when he talks like that and gesturing very funny like the entire episode like it just starts out kind of humorous with kirk he's like you know he's talking to ox mix and he's got that humor in his voice i don't know if you picked up on it like Mm -hmm. this is gonna be really funny and i think that sets the tone for the entire episode you're just like expecting okay this is gonna be one of those episodes where i'm just probably gonna laugh a lot yeah yeah well you know there wasn't a ton that they did which were more comedic in in nature and and we know gene rodberry didn't really like that that idea of you know, um, not being able to take them seriously or, or whatnot. But I, I, I do like it when the shows that we love to watch have our characters in circumstances where it's just life. You know, sometimes, you know, you're in an event or whatever and you look back at it and it was like, it was the goofiest time of my life. And then there's others where it was a hell of a lot more serious. And that's very reflective, I think, of, um, of why I... I think that this this brings it all home. This, it just shows the dynam- the dynamics that are involved in you know what these guys and ladies do day to day. Sometimes it's it's boring as hell. Other times it's exciting. Other times it's scary. Other times it's funny. And it's like yeah, that, that's that's life, man. And um, I I I also like what this episode set up. But we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. What were the other things that that kind of you know made you laugh out loud? reviewing the show again um 
gosh, I laugh so much with this. Um, just because, I mean, I love the Fizbin scene. It's it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I was trying to jot down like what Kirk was saying as he was saying it, and I need to watch it again and maybe slow it down a little bit. Uh, so players get six cards, except the player on the dealer's right who gets seven. The last card mm-hmm. is face up, except on Tuesdays. Uh, except on Tuesdays. There was something about like a card, but only at night. Uh, <laughs> and and then again, you know, Spock's standing there watching, and and Kirk talks about the odds of getting a royal fizzbin being astronomical, and he asks Spock to calculate like the odds of getting it, and he, you know, Spock's like, I haven't done the calculations, and so Kirk's like, it's astronomical, and Spock mouths astronomical with <laughs> his eyes just really wide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, and the car scene. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, to me that that's the one that I, I remember as a kid laughing the the most. I think because I just found that funny, especially when people point forward and the car goes backwards, and you know that's been done a thousand times. But for whatever reason, that's the first time I remember it. You know, or even just talking. You know, I I, I believe it. You know. It, the 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 instrument whatever you know it's called a clutch you know and oh yeah (laughs) it's just grinding the gears uh what's funny about all of that is now in in 2019 that would probably be the majority of americans trying to drive a a car with a with a with a manual transmission but uh i i liked it all but one of the things (laughs) wheels wheels yeah yeah just like um uh, in Nemesis, right? The the Argo mm-hmm. or whatever it was, yeah. How far we didn't go, yeah. <laughs> almost, yeah. But uh, what what the piece of the action brought home for me watching it again, and and thanks so much for hitting the random button and pulling that back up was um, how much it reminded me of Star Trek Four. It just to me, I don't know. I, I guess I I had known they had done fish out of water stories before. I wasn't a huge fan of time travel, which this is not a time travel episode, which makes this even better for me because I can really get into it. But, you know, that the, the cast, it, it's kind of like, hey, we, we've done this before, you know, and it wasn't a time travel episode. It was just an era episode. And um, yeah, I, I mean, to me, a lot of the gags, a lot of the things that they were struggling with uh, in terms of terminology or, you know, walking in front of a car or whatever it was. I thought was very reflective of a piece of the action. Is is that something that that occurred to you while you were watching this at all? I didn't think about that, but that is really interesting. I enjoy those episodes where it's it's a time period, and and they're going back in time, so to speak. They're not time traveling, as you say, but but they're experiencing a different time that they didn't have. They have knowledge of, but they have no experience of, and so it throws them. Uh, for a loop but no I didn't think about it being kind of connected with Star Trek 4 that's a really interesting take on it and I can see where you're coming from yeah yeah I mean obviously Spock was in a different phase in his life you know because he just came back from the dead <laughs> and you know he was uh, he wasn't quite himself uh, what I loved about the piece of the action was Spock was himself and was trying to be something else as best he could so that was probably the biggest dichotomy. But, you know, like I said, a lot of the stuff with, you know, just, just trying to figure it all out and get the uh, get the lingo and the colorful metaphors. And like you said, talking to Scotty on the communicator, that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. It was so well done. 
so I, I, I hear you. Um, what did you think of the ending of this one as far as, you know, like I said, they, they have, you know, many, many, many of the Star Trek episodes uh, have, you know, kind of the, the goofy ending with a little bit of the music here and the, the eyebrows and all that other stuff being raised. But I'm not going to leave the witness. I'm just curious what you thought of this one, the way it ended. I I liked it. You know, it was because it was different, right? So it stands out and and mm -hmm. makes you go, oh, okay, makes you pay attention to it because it is different. Um, and it, it's interesting, you know, to, to have that discussion of, you know, Spock raises that question, hey, we can't take this 40% from them, so what are we going to do? And, and Kirk's trying to brainstorm ideas of, hey, well, maybe we can do this, we'll give it back to them in a way, and then they can use it to further their society. And, and again, it's just, it's nice to see that, okay, we're, we left them this, how are we going to make it work kind of thing rather than like, oh, all right, we, we did that. So that happened. And, you know, now we're off on our next adventure. Mm -hmm. What about you? I, well, I think, it, well, for me, it's two things. It's what you just said, and you articulated that better than I could. Uh, so, you know, it's it's that, okay, we've 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 come up with a way in their language so that they understand what we're what we're looking for. They now know that there's, you know, somebody that can kick them in the butt if they don't behave, right? Because that's demonstrated. That was a lot of the episode was just not believing in what their abilities were. And then once they started figuring it out, one gang trying to use the, the technology or that advantage and, you know, and trying to get on top of the other one. But what I was thinking was, you know, they talk about how adaptive and how well they can re-engineer technology. So towards the end, when you see Bones looking very sheepish and, you know, looking all around, and they're like, what's the matter? And he's like, I, I think I, I left it down on the planet. And he's talking about his communicator. Just, you know, that, that the, the, the line that Kirk has at the end of this, he says, you know, now they'll be able to reach out to us and demand a piece of our action. <laughs> and as soon as he says that, it just cuts away to the ship and the trumpets blaring. And for whatever reason... It was like that editing, the way they, they did that, you know, there, there wasn't like this little wanky music after it or whatever. It was just da 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 And it just, I was like, man, this this show hit, I thought, the the pacing incredibly well. The editing was done really well. And the ending was done really well. So, you know, a lot of times you can go through an episode and there's critiques within it. You know, well, that didn't really jive, but they pick it up here, blah, blah, blah. And then holistically... When you look at all of it, you say, hey, that was a pretty good episode. In this case, I couldn't even think of anything that I would change. I, I just felt like, you know, sometimes when you're, you're on a roll, uh, you, you just keep running with it. And the gags didn't get stale. The, um, the plot evolved. It didn't feel rushed to me. And then, you know, I thought the ending was just, you know, oh, man, now what, <laughs> now what are we going to do? And, and I... I don't know. So it was almost like from, from the very beginning to the very ending, it was one of those home run episodes. And, and that's why you say, you know, when you rank these things, sometimes this one gets left off. And I, and I guess probably because it is a, a more or less a comedy. I don't know. What do you think about that? I can see that. Um, I think it is a comedy, but it's really, I think it's really interesting because, so the horizon when they come across Sigma Iosha 2 
there is not that non-interference part of the prime directive established yet and and so that's and then it's this whole result of it and now they have to go back and we have that that part of the prime directive now we're not supposed to interfere we're not supposed to change the course of things for a planet and yet they have to and and then bones leaving his communicator in a way interferes because you know it's leaving a piece of technology that's way advanced they're not there yet and and you can say that's that's a bad thing i mean it kind of is it goes against that non-interference part of the prime directive but then at the same time it advances their society like rapidly because they that is part of their society they can uh imitate and and advance pretty quickly and so it's really i it's fun but it's also quite an interesting episode when you take it in that perspective mm-hmm. no, i agree with you i i, I laugh because I, I you know when we don't we assume or at least i assumed and everybody has a different context to it that the horizon accident you know a crewman accidentally leaves this book behind so whether there is a um a prime directive or not i always kind of took it like the intent of the crew was not to transform the society into a 1920s chicago gang war right that was not the intent no. And so, you know, an accident happens. And at the very end, history repeats itself. And another accident happens where, okay, something else is now left behind. What is this going to do? And that's what I thought was, was genius about the episode is, you know, no matter what the prime directive says or, or whatever, it can be the simplest thing that can, can screw things up. And, and I think that's also a, a good warning, too, for you know, the adherence to the prime directive, it's just like when people go out and study, you know, um, animals in the wild. Um, their their presence being there somehow is disruptive to that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. It may not be something that's noticeable or tangible that people can see right away, but, you know, the presence does change things. It does. And so it, it made me think even a little bit more from that aspect, even though they have those... Um, uh, you know, where they kind of go in and they spy and they, they try to get their arms around whether or not the society's ready and, and all of that, which, you know, we saw Insurrection was a great example, you know, where they have the, the, the cloaked observation post and, and all of that, watching these folks, um, that the subtlest thing could change the direction. It could be a piece of bacteria that's on your clothing that could devastate a world. Mm-hmm. Um you just you just don't know. So it to me it just shows you how difficult it is to contain and leave alone a society. Um, the odds are probably pretty low of you know radically changing a course, but low or not, it could happen. So it just it's it's a great it's great in its concept, but an episode like this, even though it's funny, it makes you think of just how difficult it is to actually execute flawlessly and let a society just evolve as it should with your ability not to interfere once you visit that planet. Yeah, exactly. So something that's kind of interesting, I was reading on uh, Memory Alpha, they actually considered, the writers on DS9 actually considered going and using this episode instead of The Trouble with Tribbles for that crossover episode. Um, What do you think about that if they would have done that instead? It's so hard to say. Uh, one, I, I didn't know that, so you, you caught me. <laughs> um, 
I didn't know they were they were considering a piece of the action. It would have been funny to see the DS9 crew in an environment like that, but who knows how it would have changed. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess if you're saying they go back and they they're they're working with and they're there with the Enterprise crew on the planet, yeah, God, it it would have been priceless. I think to to see all that. So I, I just don't know how you pull it off. I I do understand how. Um, what happened at the space station in Trouble with Tribbles could have changed history a little bit for the Klingon Empire. And so I, I do see that. I don't know if a piece of the action, it, I guess, since I don't know conceptually what the draw to the planet would have been and to go back in time would have been, you know, I have no idea unless um, yeah. the the folks on that planet became incredible warriors or developed some technology from that communicator. But I don't know. Be fun to see. Yeah, it would have been interesting. I, again, I don't know what they would have done, but it could have been fun, right? I mean, I'm sure it would have. I'm sure it would have. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would, I would have. You know, anything. I'm such a, a Star Trek geek and such a big fan of of all the Star Trek series, really. That whenever there's crossover, um, you know, I have a good time with it. You know, I, I like to see. Uh, cast members show up again and and people visit and you know you see i mean it's it's kind of fun i mean with you know we, we just saw the first episode of discovery and you know they're going back they're with the enterprise and it's different because it's not them it's not the pike you know it's not this you know it's fine by the way um but i always love it when you know uh, when tng finally started you know when you finally saw spock and you saw scotty and or Sarek, and you had references that that pulled you back to the original episodes. Same with DS Nine, uh, even with the old Klingons coming back. I, I love all that stuff, Haley. So I'm sure if they had done it with this episode, they would have pulled it off, and it would have been a classic. Yeah. So uh, a couple other things I didn't catch this, and so I'm gonna have to watch it again to see if I can catch it. Uh, this is the only episode where Kurt calls McCoy by his full nickname, which is Sawbones. I. Didn't realize that. Now, was that just part of, you know, the character down on the planet trying to add a little bit more to his name? Maybe. I don't know. I didn't catch it in the episode. So if our listeners have caught it and want to point out to us where in the episode it happens, uh, do that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I was like, oh, it could be. It could be like Spocko, right? It, it could be Spock-o, part of that. Yep. But yeah. And then um, it is the only uh, episode of TOS to end in a freeze frame. So you were talking about how it ends. It's the only one that mm-hmm. ends with that, so. But it's not a very long freeze frame. No. It is, boy, it can't be more than a second or so. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, in fact, because it cuts over so quickly, I didn't realize it was a freeze frame. But I might not have been locked on to that. Okay, good call out, Haley. Good call out. What do I know? <laughs> I didn't know it until I looked on Memory Alpha, so I was just jotting down some notes. Um, one other thing. Uh so this kind of started with the whole uh, just uh, Gene Roddenberry wrote down President Capone, and that's where it took off from. It did have uh, two outlines. There were three teleplays and five revisions before they kind of came to what the episode is that we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, like I said, I knew it had a lot of iterations, and I think it was from these other voyages that I had read that, you know, Going too far into the comedic side was just not something they, they really wanted to do, but I'm glad they had fun. I'm just glad they had fun. Um, it's it's one of those things, too, you know, when, when you compare all the series, 
for whatever reason, this cast just could pull it off better than the others when it came to full comedy. They, they, they just get the other, the others were fine, but there weren't a lot of episodes where it was just comedic. Um, but, but these guys, for whatever reason, they just had that chemistry and they, they could be silly and it could work. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I appreciated, um, not just the humor, but you know, they set the scene really well, right? There's, Mm -hmm. there's trash on the streets. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but each of the, uh, bosses, uh, crew, they wear different hats. So Oxmix crew, they wear fedoras. Uh, Krakow's crew are wearing a, uh, the straw skimmers. And hmm. uh, everybody else, they wear derby hats. I didn't pick all that up, no. <laughs> no. I had to look up wow, the names that's... of the hats, but I noticed that they were all different. I just couldn't remember all the different names. But I knew what a fedora is because... The 1920s are some pretty fun times, but yeah, I, oh, sure, you sure, know, it's sure. just interesting. And um, I love when in the room when they're playing, uh, when Kirk is talking about Fizbin, you can see it's clearly mm-hmm. a storage room <laughs> because it's really <laughs> dusty in there. But there's like different old pinball machines and then like some barrels and boxes and stuff. But the pinball machines, that was kind of a nice touch to it, I guess, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Like I said before, I, I thought soup to nuts, they, they hit it. And, I, you know, what was nice about the, that era or their ability to film it is, you know, they're on the Paramount lot and they have all these sets. Uh, and, and Star Trek did a good job of utilizing those sets, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for, for different. Obviously, there's a lot of episodes where they go down to planets and it's it takes place in different eras and they can just play right off it. You know, so what was probably a New York City street corner and in, in some movie now becomes, you know, part of, uh, you know, the Argons or something. It's just, to me, I I like it. I, I like how they did that. And, you know, you, you knew it was just a, a Paramount lot, but it worked out beautifully. They weren't going to spend money like the Untouchables, right? They weren't going to redress Chicago to make it right, but they still pulled it off just fine. Yeah, uh, and I appreciated all of that. It was It was nice to see that they just weren't utilizing little sets or anything like that it was really well done um one other thing that i i liked was that uh the car kirk drove they were basing that off of uh al capone uh who had a 1928 v12 cadillac they Mm. i haven't looked but it did uh, memory alpha did say that it probably was a cadillac um uh, maybe a 1931 model so I mean, they were really trying to make sure that you felt like you were 1920s, <laughs> yep. which is great. Yeah, no, they, they, they pulled it off. All right. Well, what are your final thoughts, Haley? Um, you know, if you haven't watched this episode in a while and you think it's just kind of silly, it is a little silly, but it's really fun. And I think the, the underlying story to this is really intriguing of this non-interference and what do we do and how do we clean it up once we know something happened right i mean it took a hundred years for them to realize what had happened um and that the horizon had been out there take a take a look at it again and and see what you think um i enjoy this episode it's fun and i would like to see another episode of like a follow-up right we never went back to sigma iosha 2 and it would be neat to see where they are now. What are your final mm, thoughts, the, Ken? Maybe the new Picard series will do that for you. 
Maybe. Well, I have to say thank you to you and thank you to the kiddo uh, for coming up with this episode. One of the things that's it's funny, um, you know, we, we all have good weeks, bad weeks, whatever. And by nature, you know, I'm pretty good in terms of um, being able to, to handle things and whatnot. But this week in particular was a pretty rough week. I don't know why. It just it just things didn't go as planned and things kind of went south. And yesterday was just kind of like one of those days. You know, I, I mean, it, we, we were working well into the weekend. And when you came up with this and, you know, you pushed the random button and and she, and she came up with this episode. I went, oh, okay. You know, this this is this will be fun. And then watching it again, you know what? I I just needed a laugh. And and um, it wouldn't have been something I would have thought about doing. It isn't like I just go running to a a funny show, movie, or whatever. And it's not like you know anything devastating happened. It was just a rough week. And so an episode like that um, can really uh, kind of pull you out a little bit and and have fun. And it also reinvigorates you a little bit as to why you love the show, why what makes um, the original series, uh, you know, still fifty-two years old. It still holds up, you know. <laughs> there are still things that were funny fifty years ago that you can laugh at today, and um, oh, this this that did that did the trick for me. So there's there's an element of hey, what a great thing, and then the other where I'm going hey. Thank you, Started Family. That was cool, you know. <laughs> well, I'm glad uh, that it was a, a good note to end the week on and, and that she picked that one. She did well. She did well. So kudos. I don't know. Does she listen to these podcasts ever? Uh, yeah, on the weekends when I try to play catch up. Uh, I don't usually put my earbuds in, so she will hear them if she's in the room and wants to pay attention. Okay. All right. Well. Good job, Chloe. You picked a winner. Well done. Very well done. 1920 Chicago and non-interference are not the only things we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. Here's a look at what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Meta Treks. Wow, I had no idea that was possible. It's this ongoing link that exists between Michael Burnham and Sarek because of this mind meld that he had with her when she was a child. Mike, I- I'm going to give you a Radio Shack joke because I know you and I both have Radio Shack experience. If this yes. were the ni- if this episode happened in the 1990s, they would have had prepaid long-distance mind meld cards. To the journey! But I do have a question. Why was Neelix focusing on classic American cuisine as a marketable job skill in going back to the Alpha Quadrant? Why classic American cuisine? Why not Chinese, Japanese, or Vulcan? Come on. I think that the culinary tastes will continue to degrade for the next three or four <laughs> centuries. And by the 24th century, it'll only be classic American that's left. You know, all other cuisine will have gone by the wayside. So pot roast, pot pie, apple pie. Yeah, every restaurant is Taco Bell, essentially. Yeah, it's the, it's the demolition man problem. That's disgusting. Literary Treks. I think we could not do this novel without inviting a special guest, Amy Nelson. Amy, how are you doing? Hi, I am so excited. Imzadi, Riker, Troy, it is the best. I am so grateful, honored, pleased that you even thought of me for coming on Literary Trek. So thank (laughs) you so, so much. Yeah, we're like, do you think there's anybody on the network that would like to talk about Deanna Troy? 
Hmm. I think I have hmm. corner on the market on that one. Standard orbit. Vulcans are not incapable of showing emotion, but apparently they are incapable of lying. Well, that's, that's their reputation. I mean, who told you? If Vulcans tell you that, of course they would. I mean, that's their <laughs> reputation, you know. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trek.fm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trek.fm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs... You can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs> yes, and use the hashtag Trek Tuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>